This customer change is much different. Um, it is a data-driven change as well as customer thought process changes. Hmm. And what's happening is, is because this the world is becoming more data-driven. Right. It's big companies. Yeah. It's companies, you know, like Microsoft or it's companies like Apple or it's companies like Amazon. Mm-hmm that have huge amounts of capital to spend. So it's not kilowatts, it's bits and bytes? It's bits and bytes, it's not kilowatts. I I think kilowatts will be, uh, to use an old analogy, the milk in the grocery store. And you Mm. can ask dairy farmers how well it works out when you're the lost leader in the grocery (laughs) store. This is Flux Capacitor, a podcast about the future of electricity. I'm Francis Bradley of the Canadian Electricity Association. We feature discussions about the future of the business of electricity on this podcast and what the future transformations will mean for electricity companies, regulators, society, and customers. We also spotlight recent news and bring you different voices from the CEA team. Our featured discussion on today's podcast is with Roger Smith, the Vice President and General Manager at Oracle Utilities. But before we get to my conversation with Roger, I'm joined once again on the podcast by Michael Powell, CEA's Government Relations Director, to talk about recent news. Michael, welcome back to the podcast. Good day. Uh, Francis, let's start with a a biannual war game that Mm -hmm. takes place across North America looking at uh, risks to the electricity grid. It's an exercise called GridX, and it's run by uh, NERC, the North American Electricity Reliability Corporation. Mm-hmm. And what they do is they uh, basically set up a scenario in which a foreign actor tri- breaks the electricity grid. It's a black swan event where mm-hmm. all sorts of unlikely things happen, and we make sure as a sector that we're able to respond. This right. year, mm-hmm. uh, it looked at uh, challenges that would be connected to um, the reliance on gas and natural gas supply. And the idea is to give us a chance as an organization, as organizations, as well as other related sectors, including telecoms and the financial sector, to see how we might respond if if things get really, really bad. So it's a tabletop. It is a tabletop. But it draws in people from all across North America? All across North America. And so there is an overarching scenario, but individual utilities will uh, try their own way at it as well. As an example, in Ontario, the Independent Electricity System Operator, or IESO, actually uh, turned on their their backup, uh, like, market area set up mm-hmm. and use their primary facility to run the uh, the exercise itself mm-hmm. so that people that were partaking in the exercise were in the chairs that would be in in uh, an actual scenario. CEA organized uh, our own executive tabletop as part of our annual board meeting mm-hmm. in conjunction with partners at the Canadian Gas Association as well as a host of government departments that all over the course of a few hours looked at what might happen if large parts of Canada were black for a while. Leading question because I was there. Um, we, 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 had that, we had that executive <laughs> tabletop here in Ottawa, and it connected up with a, with a, an, an equivalent exercise taking place, executives and senior government folks down in Washington. Correct. And the idea is to, as much as possible, go through the processes that we might otherwise go through. Um, as an example, the day before, in the first part, mm-hmm. there was coordinated conference calls with industry partners yep. ahead of a call with government partners that would go over the sorts of information sharing and uh, where we would ask and where we would check for things in the event of an actual situation. So just like, uh, you know, you, you might see people uh, practicing for drills or 
uh, other rehearsals. Uh, this is an exercise to see what might happen if things go really, really wrong and how we might get the grid back on and help people and make sure the systems we have in place make sense mm -hmm. and people know how to use them and uh, interact with other people when there are challenges. So just a quick so what before we get to weather news. Uh, presumably, there's going to be some lessons learned that come, come out of this, and what are you going to do with them? Yeah, so CEA will have its own lessons learned document, which we'll share with uh, participants, and uh, an abbreviated version will be made available to the public. Mm -hmm. We'll look at areas where we can improve. I think one of the big focuses from our executive tabletop was on communications, but I think uh, every organization will use this as a chance to refine their own processes to see where there are weaknesses. And if nothing else, just make sure that when uh, you know a situation happens, they are one step farther down the line of things that they have to do and know where things are. Anything else that caught your eye in the news this week? Yeah, in a much more tangible way, uh, there is uh, a... A Tesla operator that, uh, that runs a fleet of uh, basically ferry service for people in so in Southern California called Tez Loop that operates uh, seven Teslas of varying models, each of which is well past 300,000 miles. Wow. They probably have the highest mileage Teslas of uh, anywhere in the world. And what they're showing is that you can still maintain uh, them reliably and operate them on a cost-effective basis well past the normal expectations of their life. So from a metric perspective, for those of us in the metric world, they have more than a half a million kilometers already on these models. Uh, correct. And the usual place for a fleet would see vehicles replaced at about 100,000 kilometers. Right. But what they found is that even at this, uh, you know, we'll say, longer life, uh, that they are still operating from a maintenance perspective at mm -hmm. about the same rate that they would be for a regular vehicle, even though they are substantially older. And they have some advantages in that they're on the road more frequently because, you know, the overall maintenance is a little less. And when you start amortizing those sorts of vehicles over a longer period of time, they become cost competitive, not just to their peers in the uh, internal combustion luxury market, mm. but as to traditional sedans as well. Obviously, there's some differences between California and Canada when it comes to longevity and parts. Right. Yeah. Uh, but what it does say uh, is that as people are trying to figure out just how far vehicles can go and how long they might last with uh, a different kind of engine and different kind of moving parts, mm -hmm. it could rethink how we uh, think about the supply vehicles, what a the used market looks like, and how long can people keep uh, cars. That could have a, a big impact on all sorts of industries in Canada. Uh, and North America, but mostly I think will will change how we amortize these sorts of investments. So th th this isn't something. This isn't a project where they pulled the plug. It's it's kind of five times the mileage, roughly, and counting. These and vehicles counting. are still on the road. They're they're still cost effective, and so if you're driving between, say, San Francisco and Los Angeles. Uh, they have an operator that will drive you in a, in a nice car. Some of these do a full recharge a couple times a day. Mm -hmm. And however many years later, just given the sheer volume of times that they do the trips, that they are, are still cost effective for the operator and still, you know, worthwhile for uh, presumably a luxury clientele to take part in. Great. Michael, thanks for the news once again. Thank you, Francis. And now uh, let's listen to my conversation with Roger Smith of Oracle Utilities. We recorded this in November 2019 in Ottawa, uh, and it was recorded uh, just before CEA's annual Powering Partnerships Summit. I'm delighted to be joined on the podcast now by Roger Smith. Roger, welcome to our podcast. Thank you, sir. Can you tell us a little bit about Oracle Utilities and what it does in this space? Sure. So we're obviously part of, of Oracle. Um, we are a global business. We provide software um, for every part of the operating 
um, portions of a utility. So yeah. if you think about everything from the generation plants all the way through transmission distribution uh, into network management and all the way ultimately, ultimately all the way to the customer, uh-huh. all that takes applications to run, all those different parts of the utility business. And so we're, we have the broadest platform of applications of anybody in the world right. to serve every piece of the business within a utility. And we do electric utilities, we do water utilities, we do yeah. gas utilities. Um, we are a separate business within Oracle. So what makes us unique within Oracle is we have our own development team. Mm-hmm. Um, we have our own sales team. We have our own installation team. Right. We're almost like a separate P&L within Oracle. And Oracle has about nine of those businesses now. Mm-hmm. Utilities is one of the first ones ever developed. Um, so we've been at it probably the longest right. within Oracle. But uh, Oracle, had, in total, we're about 140,000 employees now across the globe. Mm-hmm. Uh, the utilities business is a subset of that. Um, but we have vast amount of resources we can call on globally to solve the problems of the utility industry. Right. And there's a lot of those interesting challenges. Oh, yeah. And we'll, we'll have an opportunity to talk about some of those yeah. things. Um, so how, how, um, what's, the, what's the penetration look like? If we were, say, to look at the, the 50 largest utilities in North America, how many of them would, would actually be uh, Oracle Utilities companies? So we are, we're proud of saying that of the top 20, all 20 are Oracle. All 20? All 20 are, wow. are Oracle customers. So okay. that's a good thing. Um, and penetration around the globe, we're probably at around a thousand customers, something wow. like that. Wow. Okay. Um, so the penetration is pretty good, and because we have a broad array of solutions, we have a broad array of competitors. So we compete against Siemens, we compete <laughs> against SAP, we compete against GE, we compete against IBM. All right. So um, you know, it's 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 an interesting business these days. But we have a because we've got the broadest portfolio, we have the broadest number of really good competitors out right. there that we compete with. So I'm proud of the fact that we're, you know, of the top 20, we're in all 20. Yeah. Uh, of the top 100, we're in most of those. And, and we have a, a really strong cadre of customers around the planet. So we'll, we'll, uh, we'll, let's, let's talk a little bit about uh, the, the, um, the challenges that businesses that you're serving. But first, how did you wind up here? What was, what was your You mean path? in Canada today? Or? Yeah. <laughs> not, not how did that you get to Ottawa. Either. That wasn't easy because you got stuck in Detroit. Uh, by the way, just for the listener, we're recording this in, uh, in, in mid-November in Ottawa. And, of course, that means travel challenges are always interesting. But, yeah, how did you wind up in, in, in this position so, of, of leading this group? Yeah, that's Oracle? a great question. I actually started in the utility business. Okay. Um, I was 16 years at a utility in the U.S. called Southern Company. Yeah. Um, tiny company. Tiny yeah, company. Yeah. A company I st- is a great customer of yeah, ours today, yeah. by the way. Um, I, I was there for 16 years. I spent time in the nuclear industry while I was there, in the mm. independent power business while I was there, in the generation business while I was there. It was a great learning experience at Southern. Um, from there, I went into the consulting organization and um, was actually at uh, Cooper's and Labyrinth. Mm-hmm. And uh, Cooper's, my first job was to help start up the California ISO, which was an interesting experiment in and of itself at the mm. time. Um, and then from there, uh, I was uh, president of a company called Black & Veatch, which was a big yep. engineering construction company yep. in Kansas City. Yeah. And I was very happy there. It was a great company. And I got a call from Oracle one day, and they said, hey, we want you to come run our utility business. And at the time, Mark Hurd, who had just begun at Oracle, um, I had known Mark for a number of years, and we chatted over a period of time, and it sounded like a great thing to do. And so uh, I ended up at Oracle about eight years ago. Hmm. And um, it's been a great experience. I mean, it, uh, the reason I did it, frankly, is is that um, this industry is going through the most dramatic change I've seen in 30 plus years. Yeah. 
And a lot of it's driven by the things that we do at Oracle around data and other things like so that. So let's talk a little bit about those those changes and those transformations that were, were really either on the cusp of or are already in the thick of. Yeah, and this industry has always gone through changes. You know, so, so I, I hate to tell you, I won't tell you how old I am, but I did start in this business in the very early 80s, let's uh -huh. put it that way. And so I've seen what happened with, you know, early on when when the industry thought you couldn't burn gas anymore in boilers and uh, mm -hmm. because we had no gas globally, right? Right. And, and changed what we thought about generation a lot in those days and independent power started and and people forget we had energy efficiency issues mm -hmm. in the late 70s that carried over into the 80s and so there was a huge transition in the industry there around energy efficiency and types of generation what you could and couldn't do. And 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 now we're, we've gone through something similar here in the last few years. We've seen kind of a disaggregation of some of the of some of the industry. Again, starting with generation, where we had a lot of technologies pop up on the renewable side, whether it's wind or solar or whatever. And we've seen a big transformation in that part of the business. Right. But I think the biggest transformation that will make all those pale in comparison is what we're seeing now on the customer side. Yeah. And, and frankly, I'm not sure all utilities are quite there yet, mentally speaking. Um, but what we're seeing is, is because customers are going to demand more as they do from other service providers, from utilities, the way they engage with the utilities will change dramatically, the, whether they're using the distribution system differently or whether they just want more services from the utility. Uh, I think this customer change that we see, this customer-centric change that we see is going to be quite dramatic. The reason is, and, and, and what I think folks need to understand is, on the generation piece I just talked about, which we've seen happen again just recently, there are a lot of startup companies who are frankly you know, building panels for mm -hmm. solar or coming after the, the wind power part of the business. This customer change is much different. Um, it is a data-driven change as well as customer thought process changes. Mm -hmm. And what's happening is, is because this, the world is becoming more data-driven. You don't have mom and pop shops coming in and wanting to, you know, do a lot with the customers. Right. It's big companies. Yeah. It's companies, you know, like Microsoft or it's companies like Apple or it's companies like Amazon mm -hmm. that have huge amounts of capital to spend. So it's not kilowatts. It's bits and bytes. It's bits and bytes. It's yeah. not kilowatts. I, I think kilowatts will be, uh, to use an old analogy, the milk in the grocery store. And you mm -hmm. can ask dairy farmers how well it works out when you're the lost leader in the grocery <laughs> store. You know, it, it's... It's 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 a, it's going to be much different, and it's backed by companies that have huge amount of resources and believe that the utility customer has huge value that right now is underserved. Yeah, and I think we're on the cusp of utilities deciding: Do I really play offense there, mm -hmm. or do I, to use the old expression of the barbarians at the gate, do I let the barbarians, you know, not only at the gate but in through the gate, and do I just play the milk in the grocery store role and provide kilowatt hours as a commodity business? Right. So what should they be doing? What, what should the response be? Personally, I believe you never give up your customer. Yeah. In my business, the biggest thing I learned going from the utility industry to the industry I'm in today is you have to go out and earn your business with your customers every single day. Yeah. Right? If I'm six months ahead of my competitors, I declare victory. Mm -hmm. I worry every night about what our products need to do differently and, and, and how do we sell them and what's the right price point and how are different parts of the market going to be influenced by all the different things that are influenced by. Um, it's a much different business, but the most important thing is having a customer. Right. I think utilities are on the cusp of having a lot more ways to make money than the way they've traditionally thought about mm -hmm. by providing a lot of services that they've not traditionally thought about. Right. 
um, and doing it in a way that actually the customers would appreciate. The one the good thing about uh, utilities is globally this is true. Customers really do trust their local utility. Mm-hmm. And I don't care if it's Canada, the U.S., mm-hmm. France, Japan, <laughs> Australia, it doesn't matter. They trust and really like their local utility. Retail access is a bust, not because um, the idea is the customers don't want more services. Right. It's, it's because of two things. One, they don't want to shift to a retailer typically because they trust their utility. Yeah. And two, retailers can't make any money in this business because of the science of how kilowatt hours need to be priced. And if you run it efficiently, there's only a few mills at the end. Yeah. A lot of people mistake this whole idea that, well, you know, um, the, the latest trends around around selling electricity, you know, has been a failure. So therefore, this industry is going to be a failure with regard to providing new services to customers. That's totally bogus. Mm-hmm. We have a huge amount of opportunity here to do a lot of new things for the customers. Uh, and I'm selfish. I, I want utilities to try to think that way because I want them to remain my customers. Sure. You know, yeah. I don't sell the stuff beyond the meter. Yeah. I'm, I'm helping, you know, our customers to think differently about stuff like that so they can stay in business and I can keep them as my customers. But this one concerns me more than any other transition I've seen just because the amount of horsepower there is mm-hmm. uh, and amount of interest that there is of what happens beyond the meter. Yeah. And it's, it's going to be different. So, Roger, how's that changing um, your company? What are, what are, you, what are the areas that, that you're focusing on and investing on? Yeah, so that's a really interesting question because I think one of the things we're seeing happening is, is we used to talk about the industry in silos, even from a technology perspective. We used to call, talk about customer technology, which yep. was things like billing systems. We yeah. used to talk about operating technology, which was the systems used to operate the edge of the grid. We used mm-hmm. to talk about asset technologies, which were technologies used to manage the assets that utilities had. And then an underlayer kind of of IT, which was all the applications you use to actually run the applications on a machine with. Mm-hmm. That's all coming together now. It's, it's going to be very difficult to talk about those things independently because what we're seeing is the same data that might come out of plants around, right. around outages or, yeah. or distribution system substations around outages are things that the customer now are interested in. Yeah. And beyond the meter... There are things that they might want to do differently or that, or that the utilities might want to tell the customers differently if there's an outage and how long it's going to take, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. What we're finding is, is all that data now becomes uh, kind of a continuous Mobius strip instead of these old chevrons we used to talk about <laughs> that are vertically driven. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. And it's a much different way to think about the business. And so now I have to build solutions that thinks about it that way. So right. what we're doing and is... And so that changes how you think about the solutions? Yeah, because now they all have to integrate. Yeah. The, the data has to travel between all of those things. Okay. Um, security, you, now you on top of that, you throw security yeah. on top of things, right? So you have this... This interconnection is becoming more important. We used to design operating systems to just operate. We used mm-hmm. to design customer systems. Mm-hmm. And now we have utilities saying, well, wait a minute. It could be the same information we yeah. get out of both those systems. Yeah. So we've got to integrate that together. Yeah. You have to have a layer of technology that actually allows that to happen. Mm-hmm. You have to think differently about how the data are going to flow, mm-hmm. et cetera. Um, one of the enablers to that might be cloud. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're spending a lot of time and effort on cloud. So. Um, you know, not only making sure the solutions integrate, but, but making sure we can put them in the cloud. That way we're responsible for uh, updating the solutions and not having utilities do that, which yeah. in the future I think they're going to need to shift from. Um, security is another one. Um, utilities are talking a lot about security, but not necessarily application security, which they don't right. know nearly as much about as a company like Oracle does. Yeah. 
And so, you know, the cloud could provide some security benefits as well. So it's a much different way to think about the business. And, and in, in a nutshell, I think it's going to be overwhelming to most utilities. They're mm-hmm. not IT-centric companies. Right. Yeah. And so here's a great statistic I always like to talk about. But if, if you have a million, let's call them dumb meters for the old analog yeah, yeah, meters, right? right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and you switch those million meters to smart meters. Mm-hmm where you almost had no data requirements at all for the million dumb meters or yeah. the old analog meters. It's 42 terabytes of information every million smart meters. Yeah. That's because your meter reads went from 12,000 reads a year to maybe over 300,000, depending on the meter you bought and what right. you have it doing, right? Yeah. Well, now you multiply that by bigger utilities that have more than a million meters and all the switches on substations and sensor technologies mm-hmm. and all this stuff mm-hmm. that's going to be out there. The volumes of data are going to be huge to manage. The, the theory is going to be utilities need to spend more time on innovation to address the things you just asked about and less time on actually maintaining all that data. And so cloud will be important for a couple mm-hmm. reasons. One, it should provide security. Yeah. It should provide um, more up-to-date applications, but it's also going to allow utilities to focus more on innovation and less time on maintaining all that data that mm-hmm. needs, to, needs to maintain because the volumes will be tremendous. Right. It's going to be a much different world. And my concern is utilities need to, not that they have to move to that today, but they need to start thinking about how we're going to react as a company in that new world um, because it is going to be different and the challenges are going to be different. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of an exciting time to be doing this. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. So w- when um, uh, when you uh, spoke uh, at our conference, uh, our, our summit today, uh, you talked about uh, core platform, the analytics, uh, cloud. You also talked about transformation technologies. Can we drill down on that a little bit? What yeah. what are the sort of things that 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 you and 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 uh, Oracle Utilities are thinking about when you're thinking about these these transformational technologies? Yeah. So if, if you think about transformation just in general, it, it, there are a lot of components to it that 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 um, there. Before I get into the technology side, the biggest challenge for utilities they'll have companies like Oracle figuring out the transformation on the technology piece. Yeah. My biggest concern is the transformation is going to cause culturally within the utilities. Um, Culturally. They're going to need to change business processes. The way they think about customers, the way they've run their business is going to be dramatically different. Mm. I think that'll be the bigger challenge than than what we do because we do it every day. It's more exciting in utilities than it has been before, but I don't want to underestimate the the impact of of, um, the transformational challenge required at the the cultural level. I think it's going to be huge. We saw some of that again back in the 80s. When, when we all got into a panic about the types of fuels that were going to be available, we got in a big panic about generation shortages mm-hmm. and big panics that mm-hmm. customers now um, could generate electricity for the first time in the 80s. I, I can remember walking through the city of Atlanta looking for kilowatt hours in the basements of hotels and other places yeah. that we could aggregate together to serve right. a load. Yeah. Um, so we've been through some of that before, but, yeah. but this is going to be fundamentally different in terms of business processes will have to conform to the technologies that are deployed. What are they going to do beyond the meter mm-hmm. in terms of how they treat those customers, et cetera? So, so the cultural challenges, yeah. I think, will be rather dramatic. In terms of challenges around technology, we kind of have four areas we talk about, and that's the core platform. Um, and, and so around the core platform, we're driving innovation mm-hmm. in, in two basic areas. One is um, what happens beyond the meter with the customer. Yeah. So billing systems are going to change dramatically, those types of things. There'll be a lot of changes. So, for example, you know, what services do you want to do you want to sell? Is mm-hmm. it just billing for kilowatt hours? I, I hope not. 
right. suspect not. Because then you're you're the you're the farmer. Well, then, the you're, then you're the then you're the dairy farmer again, yeah. you know. And not nothing against dairy farmers. I actually have a farm in Kansas, but <laughs> but I but it's a tough business. Yeah. And, and yeah. so I hope you think about that differently. Well, we have to step up and make sure we're ahead of the game. So we have to anticipate what types of services do you want in those core technologies, right. um, and make sure we're building those. The other area is edge of the grid, with DER coming mm-hmm. up and all those things. The edge of the grid is going to change dramatically. You got to manage many more nodes um, on a real-time basis than yep. you've ever managed before. Yeah, we have to build the technologies that allow you to do that. And then it's more complex. We have an outage. What does that look like in the future versus what they look like today? So are we all, all, almost already there now? In, in I think some? we're very close. Yeah, yeah, and, okay. and some utilities are further ahead than others. Right. Um, and and you know if you're in California or New York and at least in the states these days mm-hmm. you're, you're probably a little further ahead than right. some okay. driven by regulators but also driven by customers yeah some of the European utilities um, um, are thinking more broadly about mm. those types of things but nobody's there yet yeah people are closer to getting there but honestly globally nobody's there yet. yeah okay um, and and so I don't think anybody's really that far behind but it mm-hmm. is going to change. Second area really is analytics. Analytics is a huge game changer these days, and, and our approach is to build analytics in the application layer. I'm not a big believer in that there's some analytics solution you're going to put over top of a, any enterprise. Right. That, that every solution or, or, or every application you have within your company needs to have an analytic capability. Mm-hmm. Most of those analytic capabilities should actually be invisible to the user. They should just happen. Right. So if you're rolling trucks or you're a customer service agent or whatever, the analytics are going to help you serve those those people, uh, your customers better or perform those tasks better, are built into the application mm-hmm. and you're the recipient of that. You just don't really know it. Yeah. But it's helping you do more efficient truck rolls. Right. Right. Or it's helping you answer calls more effectively and, and reduce call times yeah. or, you know, whatever your job is. It's helping you, you know, provide maintenance more effectively if you're in a power plant somewhere or look at linear assets or whatever mm-hmm. it is you do. So that's a huge change. Is, is But I think building it into the application layer and then adding into that all the things we're learning about machine learning, artificial intelligence, and building that into the application layer as well is, mm. is hugely important. The other area I've talked about already is cloud. Uh, cloud is going to be the big enabler. Cloud mm-hmm. is going to be how you handle all this, these volumes of data more cost effectively. Um, you know, I wish the utility industry was better at, say, patching their current applications. They aren't in a patch <laughs> is what we, yeah. we we issue when it's time to upgrade for security reasons or whatever it is, right? Yeah. Yeah. Historically, they fall way behind. Can you imagine what it would be like with all the applications in the future? Um, and so the cloud will help them keep, keep up to speed. It will make sure that from a security perspective, they optimum security. Um, and so there's, there's those types of things that the cloud, and it'll do it faster and cheaper than, than utilities will be able to do it in the future as well. The last area is kind of the most interesting, which is kind of all the emerging technologies that are out there that we kind of play with today. Um, the Internet of Things people talk about a lot. Um, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of interest in, in what can the networks that we've built over the last hundred years really be used for in the future in terms yeah. of Internet of Things. Uh, people talk about blockchain. I don't talk about blockchain much. I think it's a way overused term. But there clearly will be a blockchain type effect um, someday because you and I will be able to sit and say if we want to transact energy, right? Um, you know, the utility should probably be an enabler. And we all know if we know the industry well enough that the kilowatt hours you put on the grid aren't the same ones I'm mm-hmm. taking. But we want mm-hmm. we, at least we want to be able to contract with each other more effectively and efficiently than yeah. we do today. Almost like going to your bank and making a deposit, right? Yeah. You want to be able yeah. to say. Roger needs two kilowatts this day to run his farm in Kansas, and I got two kilowatts. I want to sell it. I'm going to do it. And blockchain handles the transaction. The utility has to handle the grid. Yeah, those types of things are going to happen in the future. So, 
it's just a much different time. Those are some of the things we talked about. We can spend a lot of time going through all of them, but it's it's a uh, it's an interesting time in terms of technology. Yeah, staying yeah. ahead is, yeah. is what keeps me up at night. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, when you're when you're when you're up at night, um, is there is there a book on your night table, or is there is there a book that, that you've uh, you've been reading that you would recommend to? You to know, I listen? wish there was. I it, I I end up reading. Um, more utility information every day than than I can even shake a stick at, and then my my real it, this is how boring my life is. I guess I read HBR to relax, <laughs> which is not that very relaxing. I, when I do have a chance to read a book, I have two favorite authors, David McCullough and Stephen Ambrose, because I like okay. history and I like yeah. I like military history. And so when I do have a chance to relax, you know, I usually read one of their books. They're, they're great authors. Yeah. One one has since passed away, obviously, but yeah. the other one is still. Probably in his early seventies or something like that, but the, they're great, great writers, and I enjoy their stuff. And I like, I like to read fact more than fiction. I, mm -hmm. I, in this business, I deal with fiction a lot sometimes. So I, <laughs> I stick to facts, you know. <laughs> but uh, anyway. Roger, th uh, thank you very much. I really appreciate you. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to come up to to Ottawa to to meet with our uh, meet with our crew. But I, I particularly uh, uh, appreciate the, that you took the time to to jump on the podcast, uh, and so that uh, oh, you know great. we can. We can we can uh, share this conversation with. Well, we haven't audience. had a chance to be very controversial, and people ask me to do that. So, if you want to have another podcast where we get into controversy, we can talk about that too. You know what? We could do that. <laughs> Thanks very much. I Roger. appreciate it. Thank you. Cheers. So I'm now joined on the podcast by Janice Garcia, who's our Corporate Secretary here at CEA and also the Director of Membership and Sustainability. Welcome to the podcast, Janice. Thank you, Francis. I'm delighted to be here. So I thought what we could uh, we could do here is, is talk a little bit about our summit. And I, I mentioned the summit earlier in the podcast because Roger Smith, the person who did the, the main segment on the podcast with me, was one of the speakers uh, at our summit uh, in Ottawa in, uh, in November. This is the Powering Partnership Summit. Uh, so I thought maybe we'd take a, a couple of minutes, Janice, because I know you were intimately involved in the development and the delivery uh, of, uh, of, of this program. We started off with, um, we had two keynotes sandwiching the day, but we started off with the first keynote uh, by Amber Mack. I, I thought it was, uh, to coin a phrase, an electrifying presentation, but she was she was talking all about disruption and technology, rapid changes. Yeah, and so what, what is, were there any specific takeaways that that, uh, that, that you left with when you uh, when you kind of sat through uh, Amber's discussion? One of the quotes that Amber had mentioned that really resonated with me, and I thought about afterwards, is she said, "Everything's changing so fast, mm -hmm. multitudes, different facets of the sector." But one thing that she did point out is she said, "This is the slowest change we will ever see." Right. Right now. Right. It's never going to be. It's never going to be. Never going to be this slow, this slow again because it's always increasing. Yeah, that was uh, that was I thought a, a fairly interesting eye opener. So then then we started the panels, uh, put together the first panel um, similar to what we've done in some of our previous events. This one tends to be probably the most popular one. That's uh, the one where uh, we pulled together uh, CEOs to get their perspectives on the on the big issues of the day. Uh, that was a pretty powerful panel. Any any big takeaways uh, from from that one for you? 
I thought it was interesting again too, picking up on the chains, of, the change of transformation, um, and how all of the CEOs on that particular panel, presidents on that panel, had touched on transformation and how really nothing will look the same in in five or ten years as it does today. And how can we really position ourselves as an industry collectively to be on the front end of that change? Right. We and then we followed that up with another panel. This one was was looking at worldwide trends and disruptors. Uh, and so that was the one that uh, that Roger Smith participated uh, in. And so a lot of what we talked about um, on the podcast is some of the things that, that Roger brought to that discussion. Uh, uh, but uh, he was joined by uh, Arnie Walsh-Lagel from uh, Siemens Canada uh, and by Harry Subramanian from Opus One Solutions. Uh, and that, I thought, was a pretty interesting panel because they, they all brought interesting but very different perspectives to the table. Anything that struck you from some of the things that we heard from that panel? One of the things that struck me from, from the discussion at that panel was just increasingly the customer and right. how our industry really needs to put the customer and continue to put the customer in a central position. And then our final panel was an, another panel that brought together CEOs. And this one was focused on the challenges that our members are facing um, as they try and, and get projects uh, built. It's certainly, you know, the, the, the discussion in the energy space broadly uh, over the last couple of years have been about the challenges uh, that, that people have in terms of getting infrastructure built. But we had a couple of, well, I guess a, a series now of case studies uh, that some of these, uh, some of these CEOs uh, spoke about. Again, anything stick with you in that discussion? One thing that stuck with me is, and this is something that we've certainly talked about um, numerous occasions over the years, but the importance of consulting with the communities early, uh, both your local communities, external stakeholders within the within the jurisdiction as well as indigenous communities. Mm-hmm. And then uh, we we did cap the day with uh, with a. Uh, a keynote uh, by Peter Mansbridge. It was all about trust, and, and I think folks appreciated uh, his discussion, his perspectives. Uh, we had a lot of uh, a lot of participation, a lot of engagement by by people. Um, but I think that the highlight for me of the day was that opportunity we have uh, once a year to recognize both the companies for their sustainability practices, their occupational health and safety practices, and an opportunity to recognize the lifesavers. And so once again this year, uh, we do you recall how many lifesavers that we recognized people who had actually uh, taken actions that had saved other people's lives? In- 22. So with 22, 22 lifesavers, mm-hmm. I think it was 17 stories. Yes. Um, uh, 17 stories where, where uh, people within the industry, the real heroes here, uh, had uh, had taken action that had saved the lives of other people. This is this is our, our once a year opportunity to to recognize uh, those heroes within uh, within our mists. I don't know if uh, if um, you know that that was what struck you the most, but that's for me is is always a highlight of this of this annual event. It is an absolute highlight. It's a heartwarming to to hear about the heroes within our industry and the actions that they've taken on and off uh, duty to to help serve the communities that they operate in. Very inspiring. Janice, thank you for joining the podcast. Thank you, Francis. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Flux Capacitor and invite you to tune in for future discussions and podcasts, which will feature content from the series of electrification debates we organized throughout the fall. I will also bring my recording gear with me when I attend the United Nations Climate Conference, COP25, in Madrid in December, and hope to record some discussions while I'm there. 
As always, we invite you to continue the electricity conversation on our Facebook page, on Twitter, and at electricity.ca.